there and welcome back to another episode of the Soul Seeker Podcast. I am so stoked to bring you guys today's guest. Now, today's guest is Sterling Hawkins. He is such an incredible human. In fact, he actually released his new book just about around the time of this podcast going live. So no matter when you're listening to this podcast, his book already was published and it's called Hunting Discomfort. Now, Sterling Hawkins is a serial entrepreneur. He was an entrepreneur in the tech space. And for the past several years, not sure how long actually, but he's been speaking professionally for the past few years and he absolutely crushes. Sterling is actually my homie that connected me with the speaking industry. As a lot of you guys know, I've been podcasting since 2017. It's been five years and I've done different things about in terms of like taking the stage. And with the recent release of my fourth book, Soul Life Balance, I kind of thought to myself, I look around and I said, hmm, what's next? And I thought to myself, TED Talk. TED Talk would be good. So I reached out to my good friend and homie, Samantha Joy, who was the publisher of my recent book. And I said, hey, who do you know in the speaking business? And she connected me with Sterling back earlier this year in 2022. And Sterling has been a wealth of resources for really for me to get going in terms of launching my speaking career. And I am so stoked now that I had the opportunity to speak at the National Conference for podcasting in Orlando, PodFest, about a month ago. And just recently, I spoke again at an amazing health and wellness retreat as well. So I'm just getting into my speaking career. And Sterling is someone who has been walking the talk and hunting his own discomfort. And in this episode, you're going to hear what it means to hunt discomfort. And by doing so, how you will get breakthrough results, not only in business, but life, no matter what. He is such an inspiration, such a good dude, super humble, and I know you guys are going to love him. So before we get started, if you're new to the podcast, please, please, please just leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts or wherever you listen to the podcast. By leaving a review, it just helps other people discover the podcast as well. So if you're down with the content of this podcast, you're receiving some gems, if you want to feel good, if you want to give back to the show, I would be so appreciative just if you could leave a five-star review. Other than that, I hope you guys enjoy this episode with Sterling Hawkins. Sterling, my brother, I'm so stoked to have you on the podcast. How Sam, it's good you? to be here. Yeah, bro. Thank you so much for being here. I was thinking because we were chatting a little bit offline and I try to do this from time to time in the Soul Seeker podcast, but just to drop in into uh, slowing down just a little bit. I know you've been all over the place with public speaking, traveling, the launch of your book, Hunting Discomfort. Why did I say that? So weird. Hunting discomfort. It felt yeah, like a good time to like bring it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Discomfort. Yeah, I said that kind of weird. But the subtitle is how to get breakthrough results in life and business no matter what. Your whole thing is about the movement of no matter what. I'm so stoked to unpack it. Thank you for being here. My day has been stressful uh, in terms of sitting at my computer, not really getting outdoors too much. I did teach yoga earlier. So that how... Helps. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I was thinking 
for the listeners and for yourself, Sterling, and for me as well, we could drop into just a little bit of mindfulness and a little breathing exercise. So obviously you guys listening, if you're driving a car, don't close your eyes when you're listening to this. And if you're running, that would be an interesting idea to try if it's safe, but probably don't do that. Yeah, I don't think washing the dishes with your eyes closed would be effective either, huh? Probably not. I don't know if that's the kind of discomfort we should be hunting. (laughs) I love it. Cool. All right. So if you guys are with it and you'd like to join, otherwise, this is just going to be a couple minutes and you can listen and go on with doing what you're doing or press pause and come back to it later. We're just going to find a comfortable seat wherever you're at. I got to sit back here for this. Hang on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. And then gain the wiggles out. You can start to shut your eyes if it feels comfortable, if it makes sense for you. Maybe you hear my dog breathing. Maybe you have other sounds. Just starting to connect with the senses. Maybe the temperature of where you're at. I'll start to bring some awareness to the breath. Not necessarily changing the breath, but just witnessing the natural rhythm of our breath. Maybe some thoughts are coming in. The invitation is to release any judgment with where the mind is going. Just inviting more curiosity and awareness to our current thought patterns. Understanding that we have about 70,000 thoughts a a day, give or take a couple hundred or thousand, whatever it may be. And 60,000 of those thoughts are from the day previous. So maybe you're feeling what we would label a little down, not really in your best self, And knowing that we have the power to rewire our neural pathways in our brain in this very moment right now. Nothing to chase, no end place to be. Just in this moment and moment to moment, reconnecting with how we feel. And in those moments, finding the opportunity to reframe our thoughts, our beliefs, and behaviors to be of that of loving and kindness. Finding an exhale. We'll inhale from the bottom of our belly all the way up to the chest. Sipping in a bit more air when you get to the top. Holding. And exhaling, belly to spine, shoulders drop, holding the breath at the bottom. And one more, roll, inhale, letting the belly expand like a balloon. Bring the breath all the way up to the top of your chest. Sipping in a bit more air. And exhaling, shoulders soften. Belly to spine, letting the breath return to its natural state. 
and just noticing if there's any shifts and realizing that throughout the day, moment to moment, obligation to obligation, we have an opportunity to reconnect back with ourselves through this practice of soul life balance that can be as simple as just doing some light breath work like this. Doesn't have to be a big meditation or anything at all. And with that, when you're ready, slowly blinking your eyes open, and we'll get started. It's good stuff, Sam. Thank you. Thanks, Sterling. Appreciate it, bro. It's, it's so good to connect with you, man. Uh, we've been talking for a while now, and for the listeners, just to give a little context, you are writing your first book, right? Hunting Discomfort. Well, written. It's uh, written. coming out June 21st. Mm, written. That's that's some, dude, congrats. Not a lot of authors get done a month and some weeks beforehand, the Thank published you. date. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I've been done writing since end of last year. So it's been about six months of the publisher, you know, doing final edits and adjusting some things and getting it to the printer. And now um, I think it's, it starts shipping to places, but isn't available in the next couple of weeks. So it's a, it's a big process. Yeah. And look at you. That's awesome. Working with the publisher too. So that obviously you got to get, I don't want to sound like ridiculous obviously if you're working with the publisher it's different i come from like the self-published amazon type uh but yeah that makes so much sense and my good friend samantha joy shout out to her she was my author coach in helping me write and to release my number one best-selling book soul life balance uh she connected you and i and you both live in Denver, right that's right she's great i'm actually gonna see her tomorrow Oh, tell her I said hi. I, I will. Yeah, we're going to just grab a coffee and catch up. I haven't seen her in a long time. That's amazing. But yeah, I want to bring that up because that's how you and I got connected. I was like sitting there like, oh, okay, I wrote my book. Now what's next? Oh, I want to get into actually at the time I was like, I want to do a TED talk. And then that's when Samantha connected me with you and where you really opened my eyes to the business of keynote speaking. And it's so funny because like three years ago, when I started down this path of like soul life balance and everything, my vision was like Simon Sinek, but instead of start with why it was, it was soul life balance and it was speaking on stages. And I I totally forgot about public speaking. And then, you know, I was like, Oh, a Ted talk. And then when you said getting into speaking as your business, that's why I was like, yeah, I totally forgot. That was it. And we've been connecting since then. So you've been just such a great resource for me and I really appreciate it. Thank you. And likewise, I mean, just seeing your book and all that you're up to, you've been an inspiration. So I I'm glad we had a chance to connect here. Hell yeah, brother. All right, cool. Well, this is uh, about you. So uh, why don't you give us a little bit of a background of who you are in terms of like business and how you made the, the, the shift into public speaking? Yeah. Uh, well, really what I do is I work with corporations and more specifically their leaders to reorient their relationship to the unknown. Mm-hmm. The unknown being pandemic fallout, uh, tech disruption, could be global instability, supply chain shortages, problems with your family, you name it. It's, it's in that uh, bucket of the unknown. And it, if it's unchecked, unconsciously, it can leave many of us um, resistant to change, which is definitely not where you want to be, 
unwilling to take intelligent risks, which you have to do in this day and age just to keep up, not to mention breakthrough. And it can leave a lot of us just fighting for survival, which, you know, you want to talk about burnout. I think that might be a major component of it. Um, you know, my work to get into that world, it's been kind of a crazy journey. You know, I started out right out of college. I founded a company with my dad. Mm. And we sold it to a group in Silicon Valley where we raised over $550 million. And I became part of that company. Yeah, it was insane. It was like, ah, I've got this whole business thing figured out. I don't need anybody else. Business school, fantastic. Now I'm ready to go. Right. Uh, Multi-billion dollar valuation. And, you know, I'm just banking on this idea, like 22, 23 years old, that it's just a matter of time until we're going to go public and I'm, I don't know, going to buy a private island or something, you know? Right. And um, it wasn't just the cash that told me that. It was the fact that we were like playing out a scene from Wolf of Wall Street. You know, there's models in the office and parties at the Four Seasons and uh, more first-class tickets that you can count. Right. And, you know, you listeners, and you already know, you kind of see the writing on the wall. Like Wolf of Wall Street does not end well for the main character. And it didn't end well for us for a whole slew of reasons uh, that I could give you some time or we can get into some of them. When the housing market collapsed, our investment dried up and half a billion dollars, all half a billion that was invested into that company was gone. Uh, And, you know, I got to this place where I was so like caught up in what we were doing. It was like my whole identity, my whole vision. Like I only saw my life going that way that when it crashed, so did I. Absolutely. Now, I'm glad you brought up identity. That is an interesting thing. Can you speak to how your identity was tied to your business? It's just who I thought I was. You know, I was a successful entrepreneur. I was part of this huge startup. It was kind of like Apple Pay before Apple Pay. So everybody saw it as the future and super techie. And, you know, if I wasn't successful as an entrepreneur, what was I? Mm. And, you know, when it crashed, not only did I not have a job, but eventually I, I run out of money. I go from this beautiful penthouse in downtown San Francisco to my parents' house which I got to tell you is not a good look in your thirties. So how long were you operating the business then? Eight years? Uh, yeah, it was probably six, six, seven years. I, I wasn't the CEO. You know, we were running one of the uh, divisions. It was actually my dad and I that, you know, spent a lot of time in San Francisco building out a big piece of the company. Mm-hmm. Um. So it, it was all that I knew. I mean, I started that company with my dad right out of college and it wasn't like I had some backup plan. For sure. I, from the look of your face, it sounds like it still stings a bit. It, it does. I mean, like it's, you know, I think I've learned a lot from that failure and I'm at a point now where I'm very, very grateful for it because mm-hmm. of what I've been able to create from it. Now, I wouldn't have told you that at the time for sure. Uh, as I like played out a depressing country song, you know, it was just like one hit after another, mm-hmm. but you know, I look back on that time now and I'm like, that was good for me. It Absolutely. was maybe medicine that I needed to take. Yeah. Yeah. Happening for you. Right. And failing forward. And this is a perfect bridge to get into spirituality because 
Uh, my understanding, I haven't, I don't think I spoke with you about this, but I believe I read it on your bio when we first connected. You're a yoga instructor as well, right? That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. You forgot about that? Well, I don't, I don't teach much yoga, but right, I did yeah. get certified um, when I was in Los Angeles with it feels like 70% of the people that live there. Oh, okay. Got it. So with the yoga, like talk, speak to that a bit. Like, was that something that was part of your healing modalities when this all went down? It was. Yeah. So I actually hadn't reflected on that before, but you're right. As that was falling apart was when I started to get into yoga and I had been a power lifter for about a decade leading up to that. Um, you know, maybe 50 pounds bigger than I am now, like lifting big weights at the gym. And uh, my girlfriend at the time suggested, Hey, come to this yoga class with me. And I figured, Hey, why not? How hard can that be? Seems easy. Like there's no weights involved. And I will never forget that first class because it was so hard. I had to leave three times just to kind of catch my breath and um, get myself reoriented. And I came out of that class thinking, you know, this is just moving your body. And if, if I want to age gracefully, if I want to like do anything in the future, I should probably be good at this. So I started going all the time. And so much so, like I said, I eventually got um, certified and it was really, I, I couldn't say consciously it was healing, but it was definitely healing at a subconscious body level. Yeah, absolutely. That it's kind of similar to my story too, in terms of like when I sat with ayahuasca, I had just gotten into yoga probably about a year before. So, and then, and this is how long ago? 2018. Okay. Yeah. Years ago. Yeah. Yeah. For me, like I, I just wrote a blog about this recently. I did, I took a yoga class in college, um, with a girl I was seeing at the time and then we broke up and then neither of us went to the class anymore. And then I remember going to snowboarding a lot one year and I would go to yoga at the gym when I came back to kind of offset the soreness. And then I remember the bros, you know, being top frat on campus at Chico state party school, living above the most popular bar in town, very bro and toxic, all that type of stuff. But like the guys would make fun of me outside the window. Cause it was like a clear window to look into the yoga room. And I, I remember just at some point I stopped going to yoga. Cause I was like, Oh yeah, this isn't manly. I can't do this. And all that, like the teasing and getting made fun of whatever. Uh, and probably like eight years went by and I had never done yoga And what initially brought me back to yoga was one, a girl I was seeing at the time around 2018 and also listening to Joe Rogan, you know, Rogan would talk about on his podcast about how hard yoga is. And here's like, yeah. And, but like Rogan is like today's John Wayne, you know, like the manly man and, you know, he's a UFC figurehead and meathead and all this type of stuff. So as a guy, you know, like that gives you a metaphorical like permission slip to do and try yoga because Rogan's talking about, and this is just like the conditioning of society, right? Totally. Anyway, so that's how I got into it. Yeah. Well, I went through kind of the same thing. I mean, I grew up in upstate New York. I went to school in Boston. So when I started getting into yoga and, you know, sharing about it, maybe posting some things online, whatever I was doing, people would be like, what are you doing? Like, what do you just, cause you live in California, you've got to do that now. And I'm like, not because I live in California, but there's definitely something to it. 
Yes. Okay. So first yoga for you was kind of more somatics and body and movement and all that. Was yep. there a shift that you can remember where, cause you did kind of mention like that it happened over time where you were like, Oh, there's something more to this, whether it be emotionally or spiritually. Uh, how so? Like something like I found something deeper in yoga. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Like what, what, was the catalyst for you to do a yoga teacher training? Um, so I went to a lot of classes it, for a period. I was going at least once, sometimes twice a day. So I became friends Same. with the teachers. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, like I got high from it. Like I just mm-hmm. loved every part of it, even though, you know, to this day, I'm not super flexible, mm-hmm. uh, but I became friends with the teachers and, you know, we started to talk and, you know, eventually, we grab coffee or lunches and I'm just kind of, you know, getting introduced to the culture of some of these teachers and they started talking about their trainings Mm -hmm. and it got to a point where I said, you know what, there's only so much you can get in a 45 minute class or even a 90 minute class. Like, I really want to know how this works. I want to get into the mechanics a little bit. Um, So that's, that's what did it. It it was, I, I want to get deeper into this. And that seemed like a good pathway to do it. Amazing. And then ayahuasca, can we go there? Of course. I thought so. All right, cool. So plant medicine. And I know most listeners of this podcast are familiar with ayahuasca. So I won't kind of, I won't go over that. But the main thing to know if um, you're not familiar with ayahuasca is they, it's a plant medicine. And they say it's like 12 years of therapy packed into one single night. And that might is, even be more years of therapy. It's a lot. <laughs> Right. Lifetimes, lifetimes. So can you walk us through how you heard the call to ayahuasca and where you're at in your life? Was that kind of like in conjunction conjunction when uh, the, the investment fell through? Uh, yeah. So my mom said this thing when I was a kid that came back to me uh, while I was living at her house and had nothing. She said the way out is through. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard it. It's a Robert Frost quote, right? But to okay. me, it's always my mom. And it was just at that moment that I was kind of looking at my email and this uh, junk email comes in for a conference in Singapore. Mm-hmm. It wasn't to me. It wasn't about anything specifically for me. It was, you know, like many emails, I'm sure you and many of your listeners receive thousands of times a day, right? Just come to our conference as a guest. Mm-hmm. And thinking about the way out is through at the time, I was in pretty deep, uh, anxiety and impression, depression. I was taking medicine. I was thinking at therapists. Like I just didn't know what to make of myself and back to the identity. I didn't know what my identity was. And so I wrote back to this email that I got. I said, why don't you have me speak? Because speaking in public was the thing that I was most scared to do. Mm, wow. Long story short, I ended up flying to Singapore, giving the talk. I I was terrified, uh, but it ended up being a breakthrough moment in my career. And I started to realize that, hey, my mom's right. Mm -hmm. The way out is through. And so I started looking for modalities that would give me deeper access into myself to understand uh, what discomfort might be in me or around me that I need to let go of. Um, Ayahuasca was one of those things. Uh, I got introduced from uh, a friend of mine. Uh, breathing practices, meditation. I mean, I've probably done, I wouldn't be exaggerating to say hundreds of courses 
in and around that area once I understood the way I was through. Hmm. Wow. You went all in. I figure if you're going to go, you go big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That resonates for sure. And a friend recently said, I'm obsessive with like everything I do. And I, and then I kind of like obsessed over, um, him saying that and try and get to the root of it. I was like, Oh, okay. I, I get what you mean now, <laughs> you know? So I, I, yeah, the deep dives. Absolutely. So was spirituality like a big part then after ayahuasca or like, is there anything that comes up for you? Well, I had always looked at spirituality as something I'd get to after I was successful and could spend some time reading and learning about it. I guess right. like, it's eh, something there. I'll figure it out later. Right. I'm, I'm too busy uh, being yeah. part of this business and, and doing things and look how important I am. I've, I've got all this stuff to do in my life. Mm-hmm. Spirituality will get there. But when I'm a little bit closer to um, older age and when I went through this crash, it, um, it well, and especially going through things like speaking in Singapore and going through some of these things that I was most scared in my life to do, I started to realize that you know, spirituality or having a connection to something greater than yourself, is not something to like learn later? It's a pathway to the success that you want. And, you know, from a, a non-religious, even non-spirituality standpoint, like in the book is the fifth practice I talk about in the system is uh, surrender, mm. right? Radically accept everything that is and everything that isn't. And, you know, as you can do that, you get connected to something uh, greater than yourself, or maybe differently said, the greater self within you. Mm, Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, yeah. (laughs) You know, but um, yeah, I like how you say the greater self within you, because that's true, whether you're a seeker or not, you know, like we often look externally and this is something I talked about in my book too, is like how the, the pressures of external validation that we don't really even necessarily, necessarily understand that we're unconsciously playing out are affecting us or even the human fixer pandemic where we're always looking outward to fix something as opposed to going within. And I think that is what spirituality is all about is going within. So it's really it's really admirable to see that, you know, you got to this place of being like, this isn't working. And yes, I always thought that would be later, but now I'm ready to do this now. And one thing that comes up for me too, is like, I feel like for guys like you and I, like a little bit younger, you know, that through business is really what activated for your story and for my story, you know, activating spirituality. It's kind of like a course correction, like, Hey, you think you're going to do this thing, but we actually have other plans for you, you know? Yeah. You you learn the things that you need to in life. At least you have the opportunity to learn them. Mm. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Okay. So getting back to like public speaking, you, you did the initial talk in Singapore and yeah. how does, so the number one, f- uh, fear in, I think America, not in the world, right. Isn't it public speaking? Yeah. Well, I always love the Seinfeld joke. Everybody wants to be in the casket versus giving the eulogy. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it's a little dark humor, but yeah, it, that's yeah. great. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. Like great. it, like it is terrifying. Um, and you know, it, it's, 
people look at me now and they're like, Oh, you're so comfortable on stage. And you know, you, you look like such a natural. And I started in a place where I was so terrified. I couldn't even bring my legs to step up on a stage, not to mention talk to a small group of five people without, you know, tripping all over myself and um, sweating and being worried about what was going to happen. Like it just, if you're worried about public speaking, I most likely had it worse than you. So how do you, how much time did you have to prepare for the time they said yes to you actually speaking? Uh, well, it was several months. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wanted to, yeah, it wasn't an insignificant amount of time. I had several months to prepare and, you know, not having a job and not having much else to do. Like I obsessed about it. And my sister was right out of college at the time. And she's, she's got a marketing degree. She went to Georgetown. She's phenomenally smart. And uh, I said, listen, can you, can you help me? Like, as you're looking for a job, can you help me uh, practice the speech? And so she helped me, like, give me feedback on the writing and the slides. She did a lot of the slides for me. Um, and I practiced thousands of times. And I'm not even exaggerating. Like, my poor sister can probably give you that talk I gave in Singapore verbatim to this day. And that was, I don't know, coming up on a decade ago. Uh, So I practiced, practiced, practiced. And a lot of people will say there's this adage around, well, the more you practice, the less nervous you'll be. Hmm. And it didn't really work that way for me. Like I was still terrified days in advance. I had heart palpitations. Like, we had trouble breathing. I, you know, stepping onto the plane, I, I was sweating. I'm like, what are you doing? You're terrified to speak in public. And now you've just committed to give this talk in Singapore and you're stepping on the plane to actually go do it. Like the months of preparation is finally here and I'm still terrified. Um, and then I, I get there and the moment comes and they say, now, welcome to the stage or help me welcome to the stage, Sterling Hawkins. And it was just a moment that was surreal. Mm. Uh, um, I still can put myself there. It, and I don't know if mm. you're afraid of public speaking, maybe you can uh, relate to this. I'm, I'm talking to your listeners here, or if you're afraid of anything, like when that fear kicks in, like the world starts to spin a little bit and you get really hot. And that's what happened to me. Like, mm. I don't remember all of that talk because I think I blacked out. Right. Um, so it's a good thing I practiced because whatever I practiced somehow made it out of me. And I got off the stage and I was kind of covering my eyes because I didn't think I did a very good job. And the conference director makes a beeline for me and he looks me in the eyes and he goes, Sterling, that's the best talk I've seen in my 17 years of doing this. Wow. Yeah. To this day, I don't believe he was in the same talk I was in, (laughs) but, but he did go on to put me in touch with all of his conference director friends. And all of a sudden, like I had this career on my hands. And again, it goes back to my mom's saying there, the way out is through. And I'm like, she's right. Like, this is the new pathway that my life and career is on. That's beautiful. And talk about like synchronicities just unfolding like that, like getting the email saying yes, getting getting the call and saying yes to the call. And then in a way, your sister kind of being your guide, if we're taking the hero's journey, um, model and applying it here to your story. Now, what was uh, that initial speech about? 
Well, it, it was about some of the things that I learned throughout uh, that failure. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as we had looked at our company and other companies, there were clearly missteps that we made. And so I started to share about what some of those missteps were. So other people um, didn't need to make them. In retrospect, it was the very beginnings, kind of the seedlings of the no matter what system that we put together today mm-hmm. that moves you through the unknown to achieve even greater potential. Mm, and I, I didn't know that's what I was talking about at the time, but that's what it's become. Yeah. And I like how you weaved in um, the lesson from your mom into even like your description of it into through the unknown, you know, just the verbiage. Um, well, that's really cool just lost my train of thought there. Sometimes that no happens. Worries. Well, the, the unknown, I think a lot of people think about it as like tomorrow. And it, it's certainly that tomorrow is unknown at a fundamental level. It's not promised to any of us mm-hmm. at all. And we get all caught up in myself included, the weather reports and the stock reports and the traffic conditions and the news forecast. And all of a sudden, like you think, you know, what tomorrow is going to bring. Yeah but it's the future. Mm-hmm. It is literally impossible to predict. So like there's an unknown out there for sure, but there's also an unknown inside of ourselves, you know, inside of the subconscious. And it, I'm sure you've done some of the research. I'm sure a lot of your listeners have uh, as well, but it's something like we are 0.00000. I might be off on my zeros, but it's a lot of zeros, 0.45% conscious in terms of um, our processing power, right? The vast majority of who we are and how we operate is subconscious. Mm-hmm. And that is also the unknown in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love hearing you speak about this because it's so true. And this is what I talk about with soul life balance and we're relating it back to the archetypal energy of yin and yang or what we could call feminine and masculine, because that mm-hmm. is the masculine energy that's like, oh no, this is what my calendar says tomorrow. So this is what I'm going to be doing tomorrow because this is the way it is. Whereas mm-hmm. like building in the time for the soul is understanding that there is going to be the unknown and being able to tap into that fluid state and roll with it and not resist it to your point of surrendering. So that's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. And it's, you know, one of the other ideas that I think we'll probably find some synergy around is the idea of hunting discomfort that I talk a lot about, right? Like it's, I get, I get another chance to like show off my book, right? It's the title of my book, hunting discomfort. And people very often after a keynote or even I'll get emails online, they're like, Sterling, I'm surrounded by discomfort. Uh, I've got enough of it in my life. And my answer is always the same. That means you're not hunting discomfort. You're living with it. Mm -hmm. And by going into that discomfort and ridding yourself of it, right? Like getting to the root, the core of where that discomfort came from, you're ultimately free of it. And I think when you get the discomfort out of the way, it gets you more connected with, um, you could say a higher power, you could say your soul, you could say your spirit, you could call it uh, whatever you like. But when the discomfort's out of the way, then you can finally see it, feel it, be with it. 
It's so true. And this is something that anyone can take a moment to think back to of, oh, this time when I've done X, Y, Z. Oh, even though I was whatever felt about it that we'd label negative, it's like, oh, I went through that. And on the other side of that, oh, man, I'm so thankful that I did. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of us want new results or breakthrough results or transformative results. And there is one place and one place only that that's located in the unknown. Mm. And unless you're willing enough, you're courageous enough to step into it, your results will be incremental at best. Yeah, I believe that. So with hunting discomfort on the flip side of that, like the toxic side, like what would you say in terms of like going out and seeking uh, things that are uncomfortable? Because like I'll hear uh, people with larger following say, if you're feeling resistance, lean into that. That's an indicator that you need to like go through that, that door. Right. And that's kind of like in a way what you're talking about with hunting discomfort and, um, yeah, and saying it weird discomfort. I don't know why I'm saying it like that. <laughs> it's not really a word I say all the time. Maybe that's it. But anyways, like, just because I think there is a level of responsibility to this as well, because when I hear people say like, Oh, you have resistance to that. That means you got to do it. It's like, well, it's not that simple. Like what would you say in terms of using discernment for the uh, discomfort that you would be hunting? Well, I would say if the way out is through the way through is to surrender and you know, I don't know about the language lean in, like there's so much nuance to it, depending on the person, their background, how they're hearing some of that kind of language, but it really is accepting whatever that discomfort is and letting it move through you, whether you end up doing the activity or not. That's the important thing. Mm, Got it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. You know, and I don't want to use your, like, for example, maybe this isn't the best example, but like, skydiving. I had someone on the podcast earlier today who was talking about how she loves to skydive. And I remember yeah. being in high school being like, oh, I want to uh, skydive really bad because I don't want to be on my deathbed and be like, oh, I wish I skydived because that was the programming and conditioning that was around me during that time. Now, when I got a little bit er- older in my college years, I was like, I have no interest in skydiving. And the last thing I'm going to be thinking about on my deathbed is, oh, I wish I I jumped out of an airplane. Like, I can't believe I didn't do that. So in one way, like I could say now that I still have like no interest and don't want to do that, I could say that's uncomfortable and I should go through that. But like for me to use discernment, it's like, well, no, that actually isn't something that would like, like, how do you recommend to use discernment to decide which things you would want to go through? Cause there's, it's one thing when, you know, you're at that rock bottom, but I think a lot of times when people hear this type of stuff, like if you're in resistance, do it, it's just a blanket blanket statement. And that's kind of my point here, like using skydiving as an example where it's like, well, no, like they're, I'm not going to do that just because I don't want to do it, you know? Yeah. Well, and you know, caveat there is if you do it and you're still resistant to it or you're angry about it or you resent it, it's worse, right? Like <laughs> right. that's the surrender to the discomfort component. That's so important. Discomfort alone is not going to do it. It's mm-hmm. opening yourself to, you know, the fear, the worry, the vulnerability, whatever it is that you're scared about. Now, 
Uh, to your point about skydiving, this is a very interesting topic for me because there's a difference between discomfort and danger. Yes. And how we view the world is typically um, incorrect. Because I've been skydiving. My sister wanted to go several years ago and as Mr. You know, no matter what, she's like, oh, you got to do it. And I can attest it is terrifying, especially when you get up in that plane and you're supposed to jump out. Wait, more or less than public speaking for the first time? Uh, probably less, actually. Less? I, I would say less. I was speaking. less scared to jump out of the airplane. But uh, I'll come back to that in just okay, a moment. Okay, okay, okay. But the likelihood of me passing away in the car ride there or being stung by a bee and passing away or you know, countless things leading up to that event, I am more likely to die with those things all added together than actually skydiving. Mm-hmm. right like my model of the world is incorrectly associated with uh, the actual dangers in it and as we can better orient ourselves to what is actually dangerous well then we're going to be able to navigate any aspect of our life or business a little bit better now back to the, your question there about what i was more nervous about discomfort your ability to deal with it is like a muscle like a muscle, you know, if you want to build your biceps, you go to the gym, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to build your capacity to handle discomfort, well, you hunt it. Mm-hmm. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. There's some research out of um, University of Michigan where they found that physiologically and mentally, however you're experiencing discomfort, physical, mental, emotional, you could arguably put spiritual in that, but I don't think they studied it. It's processed by the brain almost identically to the point where you can take Advil for your feelings being hurt. I don't suggest you do that, by the way, or anybody, right? But it it just speaks to how similar our body processes discomfort. So as you build that discomfort muscle, you get better at it. So by the time I was skydiving, I was relatively practiced with hunting discomfort. So my worry at the time was definitely less than public speaking. Mm-hmm. I said a lot. Does that all make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that definitely makes sense. I'm going to take a, a second, let it land. Um, but the part that I found most helpful in that, which is extremely helpful is like, the capacity, I forgot how you said it, but to seek out discomfort and discomfort muscle, the discomfort muscle. That's what it was. And I think it's the small things. It's not the, the point is it's not the big things like skydiving that you need to prepare for. It's like on the daily basis, like if you find, and this is kind of how we open the podcast with tracing our thoughts, right. And awareness, it all comes back to awareness. If you can have that awareness and realize why you're choosing to do the things you're doing. And if it's all to be more comfortable, then that has a compounding effect. So yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And that's a huge point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, it's how I live my life now. And, um, you know, if you really want to get down to it, though, that's the underpinning of the, the book, right? It's built a system around how you build your capacity, not to live with discomfort, not to survive it, but to open yourself to it. So you become bigger than it. Yes, absolutely. I love that. So the subtitle of your book, Hunting Discomfort, is how to get breakthrough results in life and business, no matter 
what? That's such a great subtitle, especially for those of you guys that aren't familiar with Sterling. Like his whole thing is no matter what, right? Like talk with us a little bit about no matter what. Uh, Well, it started from that talk in Singapore. Mm, Right. uh, Where literally there was nothing scary in the world to me. And I told myself, not as like some hashtag. There weren't people wearing t-shirts with no matter what. There was no Instagram following. There was nothing. There was me in a really dark place using it as a personal mantra. Frankly, some days just to get out of bed in the morning Mm -hmm. and to practice that talk and to make phone calls that I would frankly rather not have made at the time, but really needed to, to kind of keep some integrity and, you know, keep some progress going and in what I was working on. And you know, that became, well, first a rally cry for myself. And then my sister started catching on. So that, to catch you up on my sister, by the way, her name's Havlon. Uh, and to this day, I wouldn't be doing this without her. I told her, I said, you can have some money from the speaking engagement in Singapore, or you can come with me. And she said, Sterling, you're an idiot. I'm coming with you. And she did, and she was phenomenally helpful there. She talked to the uh, conference director. She ended up getting the recording. It's the basis that, you know, we made a speaking reel and a website on. Like, she created a big component of the company that uh, we have today. Um, Where was I going with that, by the way? Uh, No matter what. No matter what, right. So, you know, I started going through things like public speaking that terrified me. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to do that. And she had been struggling with her her weight and diet and some of the things with her health in life. And she said, well, if Sterling can speak no matter what, I'm going to be a bodybuilder, like a bikini bodybuilder on the stage that you see all tanned up and I'm going to do it no matter what. Hmm. And she did. Uh, you know, it took her nine months. She's been to countless shows today. She is a, I think it's a WBFF championship bodybuilder. Wow. People always give me a hard time. They're like, your sister can beat you up. And I'm like, well, I know. Fair and enough. Built her, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. right. Well, it, and then like, she would start to share her breakthrough with other people. Right. And then Perfect. all of a sudden there was this ripple effect of people declaring big visions, breakthroughs that they wanted to achieve for themselves and moving through the discomfort necessary to achieve them. Mm. So it was a very organic, uh, well, we call it a movement today. It wasn't a movement at the time. It was, you know, a couple of friends talking about these things, Uh, but it's become a movement of people that do exactly that, right? Put a big vision out there, maybe even bigger than you know how you're ever going to possibly achieve it. Mm. And then go through the steps to get yourself there. Hell yeah. Yes, exactly. I love that. Okay, cool. So how to get breakthrough results in life and business? That's the first part. The last part's no matter what. So life and business. Now, this is such an interesting thing because you know what mm. I'm about is soul life balance. And that's right. the reframe of work life balance. And that work is a part of life. And have you seen the show Severed or Severance? No. So no. what's it? Is it the Netflix deal or? It's Apple TV for everyone that hasn't heard of it, but there's this show called Severance and basically they sever like a piece in the brain so that when people go to work, they don't remember any of their personal life. And this when is they a go- fiction show, obviously. Yeah, 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 totally. I hope, unless that's the plan right. with Neuralink <laughs> or something like that, you know, which you never know. But yeah, yeah it's essentially like they go to work, they don't know anything about their personal life. Uh, like they don't know if they're married, kids, anything, they're, their whole 
life is just working. They don't experience anything else. And then when they, when the body leaves work, then that part of the brain like goes offline and they don't know anything about work and it's just their personal life. So it sounds good in theory. It's like, oh, I'm going to be able to separate work and life. And one part of them is free and they don't work and you know they can do whatever they want. They they don't work. Then the other part of them is just stuck in work. And it's like a really monotonous, um, am I saying that right? It's really hard job and bad place to work and you can get into the show. But the idea here is like, I've said for a long time, we don't have a personal life and a business life. It's one life. And like that language is something we need to start. I would like it for us to start to really bring more awareness around. And unless you are a character in the show, severance or you want that happening to you like then it's true there that would be the only way you could have like a personal life and a business life so i'm gonna have to check this show out dude Uh, yeah and i i feel like there would be a fair number of people if presented with that opportunity they'd take it what do you think I absolutely think so. Yeah. And I don't want to give away any spoilers because I watched the season finale like last week or something, but um, it's, you know, I wouldn't say I I love the show, but just the concept and, you know, to derail the conversation, we'll come back in a moment here, but it's so interesting. Well, like what quantum physics teaches us, like how the outer world that we experience is a reflection of the inner world. And I mean, I just released the book, Soul Life Balance. I've been on the spiritual path since 2019 and all this type of stuff. And now the show came out, Severance, that is like in direct correlation with what I'm building with my whole talk. And then there's another show, Upload, which is about like, instead of dying, you can upload your consciousness um, so you can live forever. And that's a weird one too. And there's the movie Free Guy that came out with Ryan Reynolds, which is like simulation. That's the only one of the list so far I've seen. Yeah, there. You know, I forget. There's probably like two others I was going to list off, and I don't remember what they're called. I can't think of them at the moment. But it seems like, especially since the pandemic, more and more of the content that's coming out is like spiritual is like really deep like this, or even we could look at Westworld, you know, some people are, uh, have seen that show on HBO, um, which that's all about remembering of past lives, essentially, you know, these things are satires, but anyways, um, that's a fun rabbit hole. We won't go too much deeper there. Just wanted to share that. And that's the idea. Close the loop. There is like the spiritual belief is like, Oh, now because I'm waking up then, uh, you know, and my inner world is intact and I'm connected with my soul. Now that's being reflected in the outer world. And then it gets really, you know, Mm -hmm. deep from there, which this is not stuff I would talk about in my keynote, but like, you know, I'm not going to go there right now. Well, it's your podcast, so we can talk about whatever you like. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's um, it's an interesting idea, though, right? Yeah. Because growing up, I would hear a lot about compartmentalizing, like, oh, just mm. put that aside and put this aside and don't deal with that and uh, forget about this thing that happened to you. And uh, I think it's impossible to live productively that way or fully expressed that way over any significant period of time. Like if you're denying discomfort anywhere in your personal life, in your business life, I don't care where you're denying it. You're ultimately denying a piece of yourself. 
Mm-hmm. And unless you have all of you, how are you ever going to achieve greater potential, your full potential? You can't. You need it all. Yep. So in your book, what is it like? How do you break down life and business? Like, uh, obviously, what you just said, it's it's one, right? But like, do you go through exercises or things where you're looking at separately? Or can you speak to us uh, the life and business portion? Yeah, well, it's pretty much along the lines of what we're talking about. It's not only you have one life, but you're you. Whether you're in a conference room, on an airplane, or at your kid's softball game. And your comfort level with things and discomfort level with things is the same. It's not like I go home and I'm no longer afraid if you throw a baseball at my face. Like, yeah, it's it's the same. I'm the same person. And so I've got a lot of uh, personal stories. I've got a lot of case studies, business case studies, uh, lessons from history, leaders throughout history that it gets into. But the point is uh, all around the same idea. All a business is, is a collection of people and inside of uh, a particular culture, a set of values, ethics, and beliefs, and um, maybe more importantly, discomforts that they're going to avoid as a group. Mm -hmm. And so as you address these things at any level, at a personal level or a company level, you're uh, impacting them at your level as you would say, your soul level, maybe. Mm-hmm. And that's the shift that we're looking to make. Yeah, no, that's absolutely important. And is this something that is incorporated in your talks? Uh, or is this a little bit separate? It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So no matter what's become a, a system, a system to step you into that unknown to realize greater potential by mm-hmm. declaring big visions, by working with your team, Uh, by finding strength in your weaknesses and accepting any results. It's like five steps to take you from where you are today, or better said, five practices to take you from where you are today to whatever breakthrough it is that you're looking to achieve. Uh, Whether it's, you know, a a professional goal, a personal goal, it could be making more money, launching my company, or it could just be, hey, I'm looking for more joy and happiness. They're all in the same place. What do you find from your time, like working with event planners and going to conferences and because your demographic is business, even though like what we've been talking about, there's not really separation and a company is made up of individuals. But what do you find that people are looking for most? Uh, It's a good question. So right now, especially coming out of the pandemic, at least fingers crossed that we're coming out of the pandemic. Uh, people are looking for navigating uh, what the world looks like now, what their role looks like now. So how do they overcome obstacles with labor shortages or supply chain problems? Um, how do they reorient themselves to uh, how their businesses are working today? And maybe even how are we coming back to work together? Are we coming back to work together? Do we need an office or is it all Zoom or online? And I would say no matter what you're dealing with, it's some version of the unknown. There's some uncertainties in uh, what you're facing. And the no matter what system is for exactly that. So in keynotes, I'll walk through those five steps. Of course, it's totally different depending on the audience, Mm -hmm. but the fundamentals, the philosophy, the brain science is exactly the same. Like how do we step into that unknown effectively to be able to grow from it? And that's, that's what the conference directors are looking for. For that, me anyways. No, I mean, you're right on the money there. Like that is so true because 
obviously the best um, business uh, leaders really are the ones that are able to think outside the box. That's such a cliche saying, but like, you know, think about the unexpected and always be nimble and things like that. But now more than ever, it is unknown. And I mean, I've, uh, I come from the swag business, branded merchandise. I mean, yeah. our business is directly tied to events as well. And I was kind of an events major, not really, but that was like a portion of it. So I, I really have like a, a decent understanding of how events work and mm. it's wild how uh, it's wild because conferences used to be planned like years in advance they book things you know and now i haven't really been on that side in a bit um not that i ever was it was just like more working with conference players and kind of getting an idea but is that something you're seeing too, even in the keynote speaking that you're, you're getting booked more like, like, how does that look now post pandemic versus pre like, are they quicker turnarounds? Uh, some of them. I mean, if it's a virtual event, mm. typically it's been a much shorter turnaround um, in person events pre pandemic, we were booking them. I think the long side, 18 months in advance, a year and a half before the event actually happened. Um, for about two years, everything was virtual. I learned more about virtual production than I ever even knew existed and cared to learn. Um, and now we're seeing a lot of in-person events come back. I mean, I'll be on, you know, call it 50 stages this year, if things keep going and maybe a handful of virtual events. So 50 in person, call it five virtual Wow. Yeah. Look at that ratio. Right. Like total flip from last year. And I think the power in these things is of course, like the five steps that people can grab onto and use, right. Mm -hmm. That's important. But in these keynotes that are, you know, maybe 30, 45, 60 minutes, the more powerful component, I would say at least is, is not just those tools that you can take out and use. It's the reframe on discomfort. It's something not to avoid, but to go after. And we unpack all sorts of cool uh, brain science. Like uh, there's some research out of Yale that says you'll learn up to four times faster when you're uncomfortable. Wow. That's like a biohack. I mean, if if you want to be super, whatever you're doing, get uncomfortable doing it and you will accelerate your learning curve four times faster. I mean, it's just insane how this stuff works. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot here. So are there like a few ways that come up for you that are easy ways that someone could build in uh, kind of inviting in more discomfort to, to go after, to hunt uh, on a daily basis? Yeah. Well, I've got one really easy thing, at least on the surface seems easy which is when you get up in the morning, write down or declare to yourself or somehow set in stone one thing that you're going to do no matter what. And I don't care if it's go to the gym, make a phone call, meditate for a couple of minutes, eat something, whatever it is, do it no matter what. And you will find days where that starts to get uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But there's so much power in that. Um, I think it's transformative in and of itself. Oh, I agree. And, you know, I've been someone personally that's been so good with habits and routines. Like that's been kind of like my toxic side because that's like almost my default. But 
I didn't realize until recently how hard that is for other people. And like a simple shift like that is such a good way to habit stack. Well, I mean, first building one habit, but then you can habit stack with other similar habits that kind of like trigger the next one, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, in, in where discomfort starts to like get into the world of habits is we look at it at a very tactical level. Many of us, like if you want a result, what do you need to do? Yeah, I do. You do. You got to take an action. Yeah. Yeah. And so we always look at it like uh, action, 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 habit. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to eat this way. I got to meditate. I got to go to bed on time. I got to get this report in. And I'm not disagreeing with that. But what's really interesting is to look at, well, what's driving that action? Mm -hmm. Like, why is that the action to take? And ultimately, uh, what that is, is some view or perspective of yourself, another, or the world. And as you can impact or change that perspective, your habits, what you're doing will naturally change because you see the world differently. Absolutely. I like to go after it that way instead of like the, oh man, I got to like do this habit and I got to do it for 60 days. Okay. Well, you can do that to build the habit, but why don't you just look at what's driving that to begin with? And then maybe your change in action will just be much more natural. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's kind of my story a little bit in terms of like doing the things I thought I was supposed to be doing and being very good at doing them, but not ever asking the question if it was what I wanted to be doing. Right. So I like that you bring the awareness into it. And this is so amazing. I love what you're up to and your book, uh, hunting discomfort. Is that going to be on audible? It will be on audible, but probably not till September. Hey, and you're reading it. Obviously. I will be reading it. Yes. Yeah. I the, felt like it was my obligation as a keynote speaker, you know? Yeah. Same <laughs> as like a podcaster and getting into speaking. I started my audible and then I, uh, and then I got COVID. Well, it wasn't really COVID. It was a nasal congestion, but then, yeah. Um, yeah. Called it COVID, whatever. Um, and then I couldn't speak, so I couldn't do that. And now my calendar's all booked from catching up and then travel plans. So yeah, good luck with the audible. That's not Thank a lot you. of fun. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of read time to read it out loud. It is. How long is your book? How many That's pages? Question. Yeah. Two, 250 pages, something like that. That's 217. A- that's a big, oh, okay, 217. Yeah, still, like, I mean, you know, a lot of times with coaches or content creators, not to discredit books or anything like that, but, you know, a lot of people will have, like, a 100-page book or something like that, and that wouldn't be as bad. But, yeah, once you get into, like, the 200 range, for sure, it's a, it is more reading. Yeah, um, dude, I don't know how it was for you, but when I first wrote this thing, I probably wrote it as a 500-page version. And I had to work with the editor and copyright. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually written this book three times. This is the third version that everybody gets to read that is much less um, analytical and much more fun to read. Um, But yeah, it it was a challenge for me to get it down into that and say, like, how can we deliver, you know, Mm -hmm. the potency of the message and the power of the tools, but in a way that's kind of fun to read. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. You know, if there's one thing I could have done differently about my book, it would have been 
just realize like going back to the speaking thing. I don't know how I forgot about that, but my book doesn't translate to like delivering a keynote. Well, and especially like obviously getting into keynotes when I first had the idea of the book, it was more to help workaholics, um, like hearing there had to be something more Whereas through the writing process, it became an integration book to help people going through like a spiritual awakening. So now it's kind of like, oh, my book is really deep. I, I didn't know it was going to go that deep. So there's like certain things I can pull to help the the business more work type demographic. But yeah, my my book goes pretty deep. And um, the book writing process is fun. I mean, if I could make a career off of writing books and speaking, which is obviously what i'm no matter way, what man. what i'm no matter what doing yeah exactly yeah so, yeah. yeah well uh, i'll tell you and this is for you and everybody listening but uh one of the best ways you can uh, create some progress around that is to i would call it get a tattoo right commit in a way where there's no going back like when i signed the agreement with that conference in singapore i had to do that right like i was yeah. on the line and so where are there places in your life or your day to day or in a month to month where you can commit to things and have some like real hard accountability around it to, you know, push you forward. Yep. I just got my first tattoo six days ago. So all right. There's that. And it is inspired from the book. So, all right, cool. There cool. we go. I yeah. A real it. tattoo you're talking about. Yeah. I got two orcas that are making a, an abstract yin yang. So beautiful. Was, now, was it painful? It wasn't that bad. You know, do you have, you don't have any, I don't have any physical tattoos, but, uh, I, I want to get one. Where are you thinking? A similar spot, like right here in my forearm. Yeah. Do you know what you want? But no matter what. Oh, oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Sweet. I yeah. love so, so did it hurt right in there or was it, it was pretty easy. You know, they say the forearm isn't one, uh, it's like a less painful spot and, yeah. And the whole time, like you ever, when you were talking about bio or you mentioned biohacking earlier and I yeah. asked you that question about like practice, I was like, oh, I wonder if he's going to say like a cold plunge. Right. But like, you know, if, or, if you've ever done a cold plunge or for people that have done an ice bath or anything like that, it's a, it's a game of the mind, right? The whole time you're like, oh, I'm cold. No, I'm not cold. Oh, I'm cold. Oh no, I'm not cold. And then to Sterling's point of surrender, when you, it's a great way to learn surrender. When you get to the point of just surrendering and being like, oh, this is a feeling, this is cold. I've been trained to label this feeling as uncomfortable, right? And you get past that. It's like, oh, this isn't so bad. Yeah. It, well, and the best part is like we were talking about, the better you get at it with an ice bath, the better you'll get at it literally everywhere in your job and a relationship right. doesn't matter. Discomfort's discomfort. Yeah. So get a tattoo uh, because it's uncomfortable. No. Um, so to answer your question more, uh, more directly, it, it felt like an ice bath where I was like, Oh, this hurts. Mm -hmm. No, it doesn't hurt. Oh, it hurts. Oh, Oh no, this is just kind of annoying. Um, but it, it you yeah. know, I was so nervous kind of like with you with, uh, uh, no, not, I'm not going to say it with you in public speaking. It wasn't that bad, but <laughs> it wasn't debilitating. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and, like, I was trying to like kind of tough, toughen through it. And the my tattoo artist is metalhead, and you know I, all the things, and you know just going in too, you don't want to seem like a wuss or anything like that. And I told him like I was scared, and nervous, and everything, but I didn't like yeah. really tell him how much. And yeah. afterwards, I was like, uh, so how bad uh, was I? Like, was I able to take it okay? And he goes, oh, no, dude, you're great. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. Because it was all in my head. You know, I didn't really express it, but it wasn't. Nice. It was, uh, it goes back to everything you're talking about and, and really to close the loop on this podcast, right? Like the, ta- the pain of the tattoo itself, like I was making this big deal. Oh my God, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. Oh, I don't want to do it. But then just going through it, it's another one of those things, which I'm not advocating that people go and get tattoos just for the sake of getting a tattoo, but right. it was, it was a lived experience of the justification of what we're talking about in this episode about going through discomfort. So. Yeah. I, I think it's beautiful. And I, you know, I give you a lot of credit, especially with the alignment with the book. I think it's right. awesome. Yeah. And you too. Well, we have um, so much in common. I love it. And we're just like scratch the surface, but uh, we're going to call it an episode here. Cause I try to keep these round 60 minutes. We'll definitely, I'm sure be doing it again at some point, everyone connect with Sterling. You can find him at the show notes, sterlinghawkins.com. I'll have a link to order the book hunting discomfort and remember audible where he's aiming for about september ish so that's right yeah thanks so much for the plug i appreciate it you got it thanks so much sternly i appreciate bud thanks sam thank you so much for listening this episode to the very end i hope you guys enjoyed this this episode with my brother Sterling. Now, definitely check out his book, Hunting Discomfort. You can find the book in the show notes of this podcast. I have my book, Soul Life Balance, if you haven't checked that out. And other than that, just keep looking for ways to hunt discomfort. You know, we talked a lot in terms of leaning into resistance and what that means. And my invitation for you guys would be to really sit with that. See if when you're choosing to hunt your discomfort, is it something that you feel resistance to? And let's also use discernment and not just do something because we feel resistance to it. I feel like that's kind of like the worst, not the best advice. You know, a lot of people will say like, oh, if you feel resistance, then do the thing. Well, yes, and we have to use discernment. It's not as simple as just a formula of, hey, if I don't want to do this thing, I'm going to do it. Because in fact, sometimes there's a good reason that you don't want to do that thing, whatever it is. And we tend to look at it in terms of uh, playing big or playing small. And when we use that language of playing big and playing small, we actually are putting more pressure on ourselves. So if you want to learn more about that, definitely keep subscribing to this podcast. Keep listening because I'm constantly talking about these themes. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And if you haven't already, if you could leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify podcasts, I would appreciate it so much. Thank you. And I will see you on the next episode of the Soul Seeker Podcast. Hello.